Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games, or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome, everybody, to Twig 182. Uh, we got a full house today, Mr. Eric Kress, Mr. Adam Telfer, and Mr. Mr. Ethan Levy. Welcome everybody. Is that like a, I'm, I'm kind of off. I have I've been I've been I've been off for one for one episode, and I I don't even know how to host this anymore. So so welcome everybody, and how's everybody doing? All good in Canada. Do, doing work, doing work here. You know, getting some stuff done on the house. Got a new fence up, extended it out. Got that big backyard now. It's good, and uh, building a deck actually in a couple of weeks. So uh, I had the great pleasure of going to lunch with Mr. Eric Seifert, the smart Eric yesterday at, uh, <laughs> super you, you, you still can't say his name right just say super it's become one of those things where that's how i pronounce it and that's how it is so uh we're not i'm not changing <laughs> then that that's is how, how it, it is. is okay um oh my uh my my exercise update that no one cares about but i'm gonna tell you anyway so i hit uh 190 or something and like 24 percent i think body fat somewhere on there so I'm on my way to 20. So I'm not going to get to 15, but 20 is basically the 180 is what I wanted to get anyway. So I, mm. uh, 15 by 50 just sounds better. 
So, uh, but this I might actually like, try to get below there. But this sounds like a still front body uh, body fat percentage, not a zinga body <laughs> fat percentage. Oh, wow! <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Wow, that's a good joke. I like that. Um, no, no, honestly. So, uh, 180 was always my target because that's insanely low, um, and and I'm old, right? But you know, everything's going well, so I have some really good ideas about how to get it done properly that I might share at a later date. Yeah, but not now. Do, do you have like a nutritionist or like how do you? No. Nah, what's the diet? No, just you know. There is an unending amount of content out there to investigate how to, you know, get lean, right? So I, I think I've I've actually listened to it all <laughs> at this point. So, yeah, I think I have some decent ideas that I might share. But anyway, I'm, yeah, I have, that's going well. And we're going I to. Applaud you. I applaud yeah, you. I'm struggling to 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 drop down my body fat percentage as as dude, much as you're, I try. You're a baby, dude. What are you like, thirty? Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, 39. I'll be 46. So I'm, I'm right. having trouble You're approaching it. dropping you, below 170 you, you, and I'm you much can, shorter than you. You can leverage my wisdom. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, that. Let's um, move on. We'll record a side. Yeah. Too, too many details. Too many details. Now I can say <laughs> this. Too many details. Let's, let's okay. move on. <laughs> All right. Updates. Show, should I just keep going? Yeah. All right. Well, the mobile Ragnarok continues so let's update on a few earnings calls we have uh, actually app lovens coming out today which will be really interesting although their stock is on its ass it's like it, it only can go up at this point maybe but anyway we'll get to that all right so the first one was zynga right and as expected and i talked to eric about this yesterday is that they they, they got crushed right they were below 50 million below consensus estimates for the quarter right and and all of it was driven by IAP and app purchases, right? It was down 12% year over year, almost exactly what Sensor Tower said it was going to be, right? So the notion that there's some kind of misreporting on Sensor Tower, I, I, I think that's kind of debunked um, so far. But we'll, we'll, we'll continue to track and see. I, you know, EA had some decent results, which I don't quite understand. But I, anyway, we'll get to that. So, so on, on top of that. Um, you know, advertising helped offset. They were up like 35% year on year, which is really good for them in terms of that advertising business. Uh, but but that's not why they're getting bought, right? They're bought for their gaming, right? And that, that was down 12% year over year. And trends in April looked just as bad as trends in March, January, and February, right? So the other problem was that marketing spend was at an all-time high in Q1, which is un, un, unreasonable to some degree. It basically brought their margins down to the lowest level in the last two years. So they're basically spending more to earn less, right? Is basically what's happening. And so I guess what you have to understand is all they have to do this quarter is keep it together, right? Keep it together for one more quarter until this deal closes. And they couldn't even do that, right? They couldn't do it, right? Because the, the environment is absolute trash right now. And so this asset is just not worth 40% of take two, full stop, right? And, and it, it, it is setting up to be an absolute train wreck for take two. So I don't want to continue on that. All right, moving on. All right, Unity. Holy crapola. Jesus. They took it on the chin, dude. They missed revenue on expectations on their ad business. The stock is down 35%, right? Today, well, it's 32 right now. But it was already down 65% year to date. So in aggregate, it's down 80% this year, right? Now, I know 
there's a lot of correction going on with all these frothy names. And maybe one of these podcasts will talk about this because I've been bitching about this for like years now about how crazy these valuations were for Roblox, Unity, AppLove, and et cetera, right? But what's crazy is JR had the audacity to like blame it on some technical glitch with their fucking pinpoint system, right? And so, I mean, unless this technical problem begins with ID and ends with FA, right? There's just no way that this is true 100%. Like, it was, it was crazy. If you actually listen to the call, they refuse to blame the macroeconomic issues, competitor issues. Like, TikTok is competing at a higher level right now. You know, I think Facebook is coming back with some stuff. Like, there's this insane reduction in budgets for UA right now because of efficacy of, uh, of UA spend. But none of those things were actually described in this call. All it was was some fucking technical glitch, right? You know, but maybe I'm maybe it's just me. I maybe I'm a simple person, right? Like the, the most likely solution is the is the simplest one, which is basically IDFA is fucking them all, right? And if 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 fingerprinting gets blocked, then these guys are all just in it in the shit, right? In the muck, right? So anyway, so actually Unity is like in really, 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 really bad shape. And ironically, their valuation is back to where it was pre-IPO, right? Like they're at nine billion dollars, which is still unreasonable, really, right? They're, they're losing money hand over fist. They lost more money this quarter than they did last year, right? Uh, anyway, all right, unity. So was this, I? I was. I read. I skimmed the transcript. I didn't. I didn't listen to the call. Um, it sounded like was it not a hundred and ten million dollar impact of the issues with pin audience pinpointer on top of the macroeconomic. Were they no. or were they saying it was all this? If it weren't for audience pinpointer, we'd be uh, doing. Yeah, if it wasn't for this glitch, they'd be fine. They'd be fine. That's it. Got it. That's exactly. I I listened to the whole call. I, I couldn't believe it. I I actually just. I, I again. Yeah, I mean, Jr. is brilliant though. Like, and the minute that he gets challenged on that call, then he starts going on some diatribe about, oh well, we've done this before in gaming. There's all kinds of transitions that we adjust and we make things. I mean, it is like, he's like, he's artful at, at how he, you know, mis, you know, uh, misdirects like any, any real question that, about his business. Right. And so I don't know, they're getting everything they deserve, honestly. Like, it, it, yeah. Uh, anyway, whatever. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> All right. Roblox. All right. Roblox. Uh, Roblox. Oh, missed expectations, right? They, their revenues declined quarter over quarter in Q1 of 2022. Um, uh, let's see, they were down and down 5% year over year, which is like the more egregious thing. Cause again, all these companies are being valued based upon their growth trajectory, right? Not, not, you know, not even their profitability per se, right? These revenue multiples were at the 20 to 30 times, right? And so now they're coming back to real. So if we actually do, all right, sorry, that was good. I'll do this next time. Anyway. But, but the bigger question for Roblox is that their profitability went down. Not only did their revenues come down, but their profitability went down from like 21% to 10%, right? I mean, it was like insane. So basically, not only are they not growing revenue, but they are delivering less profit. So the story is very, very simple. It's the same story I've been saying for the last year is that they are moving to tier one, tier two and tier three countries, tier four and tier five in some cases, right? Like India or something. And the monetization fucking sucks, right? I mean, that, that, that's what happens. So it is costing more to make less 
right? Because they're contracting mm. users that aren't spending, right? So uh, I don't know. I don't know how the solution here. I thought maybe advertising will help. We'll see. We'll see what happens with there, how they develop. That's bad. Okay. Playtika. Um, now, Playtika actually did see some growth, which actually was aligned with Sensor Tower, again, specifically. Uh, Sensor Tower was up two. They were up six, according to their 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 reporting uh, on bookings anyway. Um, they're holding on, right? And then they're basically kind of articulating their shift to casual and diversification, et cetera. But for the record, Platika, even though I love you guys to death, bingo is casino, right? I was in Reno and there was bingo, right? And that is a casino game, okay? But it, whatever. anyway, they, I think they put that in casual for some strange reason, but I, I, I know why they do it, but it doesn't make any sense, okay. But again, these guys are the best operators in the business and they're barely hanging on, right? They're barely hanging on, dude. They got 6% growth. Like that's not, that's not what investors want to see, right? Um, the company is down about 31% year to date, partly because they got some, you know, like good press about some buyout potential from, from PEs, but that's still down 60% from its high. Yeah, but Playtica, um, I have to say, Playtica didn't invest into ad tech. Uh, when everybody else was investing, it was an interesting decision because as a company with an HQ in Israel, you would have assumed that they would have had access to all the ad tech they needed. So it's it's an interesting thing to uh, to kind of point out whether that would yeah. have made sense or not. Yeah. And then, so we, uh, yeah, so I, th I think they're smart enough. They're going to figure out a way of getting out of this. I Again, I think I said this last time, but in some ways, like if they get a bought out by a PE firm that gives them the flexibility to kind of um, um, maneuver out of this, right, of, of being so reliant upon social casino, which I just don't think is a good business to be in uh, longer term. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how they how they maneuver. I know they they are fans of the podcast. All right. So let's go to a happy thing. Uh, visiting Amsterdam uh, this weekend. I haven't been to Amsterdam in maybe... 15 years the last time i was there were for like a new year's it's a fantastic city so folks listening out of north america or anywhere outside europe like if you're thinking about going to europe i would say amsterdam is the place to be it's very very european but everybody speaks perfect english and it's incredibly laid back as a city so um just uh you know a nice transition from from all of that that you should should visit what the uh, fuck are you talking amsterdam. about <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to take it into a nice place. Anyway, all right, let's let's get back to the games. Uh, so, Dune Spice Wars from the makers of Northgard launched. It's an early access. I don't know how big this game is, but Northgard was amazing, and Dune movie Are we was going amazing. Going back to Northgard again? <laughs> wait, 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 stop! Stop! No one cares about Northgard. Stop yes, it! They stop. Yes. Yes, that game has a lot of executive players. So many pick know. me that I they are playing it. <laughs> Go ahead, Ethan. I don't know what games we're allowed to talk about. We can't talk about Days <laughs> yeah, We can't yeah. talk about Northgard. What? Can't talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. What are we smoke? <clears throat> Can I talk about we Tiny Tina? To, Can I talk about Tiny Tina? Yeah, Tiny Tina's okay. We are... <laughs> eh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small indie premium game on Steam. Enjoy it. No, exactly. I... We what's care that? about what's material. What's material to the market, everyone. Yeah. Material. Materiality. CC. But I also just want to give a shout out. CCU peak of 4,000. Yeah. I just go. want to give a shout 4, out to great developers making a fun game. I haven't played it, but I know me and Suford are going to go 
deep on this game. As soon as we get a little break, we're going to be playing Dune Spice Wars. Um, you know, anyways, so let's talk about business. So I had a, I had a message from Anton Goretzky, who is, uh, who is one of the, uh, the folks at invest game. So he sent me the Q1 2022 deals activity report, and you can get this if you go to investgame.com. So just a couple of notes from that overall, the total value of deals close and announced in Q1 of 2022 was over 100 billion. And that was over 269 deals. And this is Again, larger than yet last year because last year we saw eighty point four billion across uh, nine hundred and sixty seven deals uh, for for uh, for overall twenty one. So less deals, but bigger deals, and of course the uh, the Activision uh, Microsoft deal is is kind of you know majority of this one hundred, but uh, but we're off to a good start. Uh, in terms of M and A, the uh, the the uh, the M and A deals reached almost the same result as in Q one of twenty one. Uh, in terms of the deal count, so overall eighty one deals, uh, but the deal value so a notable decrease uh, of actually almost a fourth compared to year over year. Uh, but again, last year there was this big acquisition of Zenimax by Microsoft that was seven point eight billion, and that kind of skews the numbers. In terms of public offering, this is where where the uh, the major difference is. Last year, several public offerings, uh, and um, I think last year was it was almost nine billion. When right now it's half a billion uh, throughout Q one of twenty twenty two, and last year it was thirty eight deals at nine billion. Private investments start off with a robust first quarter, one hundred seventy four deals, uh, value over three billion. Uh, this represents 36% growth year over year, and especially the blockchain gaming dominated private investment categories with three out of five of the top deals being related to blockchain gaming. But the other two non-blockchain top deals like Dream Games raised $255 million, and we saw that gaming company raising $160 million. So those were kind of like the biggest non-blockchain game. And just as a finalized blockchain-powered gaming Again, showed highly impressive year-over-year -year growth in, in metrics and in, in the amount of, of money they've been able to pull. However, the quarter-over-quarter -quarter growth metrics have slowed down compared to 2021, indicating the probable beginning of 2022 market correction for blockchain gaming. And I think we're going to talk in this segment uh, or in, in, uh, in this podcast a little bit more about about the uh, well the decrease of, of price in, in, um, in cryptocurrencies how that has affected the decrease of demand of NFTs and even some of the uh, so-called premier NFTs. So that's uh, that's my update. Yeah, I want to give a quick shout out. I think the Invest Game guys are really smart and they yeah. built out this database of all these transactions, both M&A as well as private investment and you know some of the data that you went through. I didn't know they were tracking blockchain. Very bold to predict something <laughs> as volatile as blockchain transactions, but... But uh, but uh, definitely, <laughs> we're seeing yeah some weakness, significant weakness, which we'll get to. But shout shout out to Anton on on, on building out this database. All right, any updates from from you guys, Ethan? You're in a new new house, right? I'm not in a new house yet. I I bought a new camera, and I'm facing it a different direction to try and get less uh, child background noise coming up the stairs. So. Okay, well, little bit, little little bit. Uh, um, yeah, nothing should we jump in on, on BeatStars? Let's get in. Let's get into BeatStars. Right, uh, I'm gonna lead yeah, in quickly. This is you. Yeah, so BeatStars, there was an article in Pocket Gamer with B with Space Apes Charmy Kim. She's a game lead on BeatStar, 
and Simon Haid, who is the co-founder and chief operating officer of of, uh, of SpaceApe. And they kind of detailed this tumultuous journey and the influence of Supercell support as they work towards their first hit since the acquisition. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole article. The A lot of people have probably read it. It's really a good one. It's basically an interview of these two. Uh, but just in short, I know that Eric here was screaming that BeatStars is mice nuts when when we first <laughs> wrote a deconstruction about it. But the game is doing pretty well. So according to Sensor Tower, to date they have twenty three million in net revenue, uh, with twenty three million installs, and the, in addition to that, they're making three million a month in ad revenue, and that amount is increasing according to space ape so the uh, three million a month in ad revenue is the number that space ape is actually giving in the job descriptions uh on their page now three million in ad revenue for a game like this they also mentioned that it was like roughly 50 percent, yeah. right 50 percent of ad, re- ad revenue so you could basically double exactly the, exactly so the sensor tower if you just want to yes, squint yeah so 50 50 in terms of revenue so doing pretty well uh we're talking about you know Anyways, and that, uh, that speaks that's of a really good, good retention mix for a hyper casual game to to get that much IAP rev. Like the the three million in ad revenue doesn't surprise me. The the having a healthy amount of IAP revenue that's that's a hard balance to strike when you're making a game where the majority of the revenue is coming. From yeah, ad. this is technically what we call a hybrid casual game, uh, a music game. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, this speaks of good retention, engagement, and uh, probably demographics of this game if they're able to pull such a nice. Uh, ad revenue, I, I kind of assume that they would have even more installs than 23 million till date, just because it's such an accessible uh, accessible game and it has, you know, top hits and it had the cross promotion from Supercell. But 23 million is still an impressive number, even though the uh, installs are, are declining quite quite rapidly. So we'll, we'll see how many installs this, this game gets over, over the lifetime, probably closer to 100 million. Um, so kind of my take on... on Space Ape. Before the Supercell acquisition, they had three successful strategy games in a row. They had the they had uh, Samurai Siege, uh, Rival Kingdoms, and then the uh, Transformers Earth Wars that actually made a hundred million in revenue. So uh, quite uh, impressive wow. lineup. Not not mega hits, but but you know good games. Yeah, I didn't uh, then they realize got acquired. the Transformers game did that well. Yeah, they actually mentioned that in the article that there was a hundred hundred million dollar game. So uh, you know. Then they got acquired by Supercell, and that changed significantly their ways of working. I remember clearly that their ways of working was very, very, very different before Supercell because I was at the GDC talk, and one of their game leads was was really talking about this lean live ops. And I remember watching a lot of YouTube videos uh, how they were preaching this lean live ops uh, approach because they were previously at Playfish and how much that company was investing into live games versus new games. And through that, they didn't have new games. So they kind of turned it around and majority of the people was were investing into new games. Uh, nevertheless, it resulted, and this is from the article, uh, that they had 11 game teams trying to crack almost as many genres. And that resulted in 24 games killed in five years and a lot of frustrating developers. That's a... That's a you know, pretty harsh set of numbers. Five years, 24 games, 11 teams doing different genres. And this is something that we've been saying a lot on, on this podcast and on the blog is that genre focus really matters. Because when you focus on a genre or a specific set of genres, you, you just build faster internal know-how of what works and what was, doesn't work in that genre. You also accumulate these learnings on how to market for a specific audience, which 
you know, naturally significantly increases your chance of success. Focusing on a specific genre also allows you to share uh, features and code base leading to faster development cycles. And in the end, it grants you those internal benchmarks that you can use for testing as you're in the development, because all of us have been developing new games for a new genre, and we just don't know even what to compare it to. Now, personally, I think there are kind of like five main learnings from this article. Uh, one is for, for any studio, really. Uh, first one is uh, it's important to focus. It's important not to spread the talent too thin uh, and have too many projects that end up being under resourced. And it's also important to focus when entering a genre so that so that you have the resources to succeed in that genre. And by resource, I mean not only the money, uh, but but most importantly, the people, that you have specialists, that you have people who have, if you're doing RPG games, you have people who have done RPG games. If you're doing shooters, you have people who have done shooters uh, rather than just kind of going out there. Uh, number two is staying persistent. So that means focusing on a specific genre or audience and really building that core competence over time rather than just jumping on, on different ones when, when one doesn't work. Number three is something that, that uh, this article brought up, and that is valuing teams over projects. So building teams around a group of people, not around a specific idea or a project, that's a very important notion because most of the companies are still doing it around a project. They, they greenlight something on the executive level, and then they start staffing it uh, versus finding that team that really gels together and that team has an idea and they might have different ideas and try something together and end up um, end up succeeding at one point. Now, also it's important to notice that when you have teams that work really well together, those are an asset on their own. And um, and that's, a, that's an important element for any company. Uh, number four would be offering impactful financial incentives. So that helps the teams to stay together even if they fail. And, you know, there's essentially two kind of financial incentives. Either it's a revenue share, uh, which if it is uh, tangible, there, there are revenue share models that are not tangible, but if it is tangible for the team, that allows them to focus and kind of stay together and push forward. Uh, or you just pay a very high uh, base salary, which uh, a lot of companies and I assume SpaceApe do. And finally, uh, I think it's important to hire very talented people, very hungry people and very humble people. Uh, all three are in my opinion, important elements. Um, this article talked about how, how talented the people were that they hired and how essentially hungry or passionate they were, which is you know very important for any new hire. But, but I think humility is, is really important. I was actually reading a book about this and, and, uh, and quote from that book was, you get more done with three people who fit together than with fourth who doesn't belong. And more than anything else, a person needs humility to belong. So Go ahead, Ethan. Is that why Savage Game Studio keeps sending my resume back? <laughs> Not humble. No, it's because you have crypto. <laughs> no, no, it's like it's like, humble is it's a it's a difficult it's a word. It's 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 a difficult yeah. word. But the way I see humility is a person who just is open to feedback and really hunts for insights yeah. and and tries to kind of poke holes in their own <clears throat> in their own ways of thinking rather than than you know overriding anything or just coming in with a very senior background saying like I don't need to hear anything I know everything this is how we're doing I want to get this no, done I, I'm talented I'm passionate that's enough yeah I I, I agree J jokes aside yeah. so basically Eric <laughs> Eric Quest in a nutshell is is the definition of so it's it's good to work it's it's good to work with people who are willing to be wrong and uh not admit when they or admit when they don't know something and that's those are two things I try and uh uh, try and do a lot. It's, it's tough.
Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new, untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and regain control over distribution, Exola Web Shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro slash dof or go to the link in this podcast description now back to the episode so adam what do you think because you've kind of been um, at, at wuga yeah. which had this structure and when i remember when wuga was describing their new game structure yeah. it was this it was this for like three years well it was me right like i did it <laughs> i i went to gdc and talked about the new game structure um about killing games and the whole rest of it right um and i don't think it was a successful experiment right um one thing like I'm always worried about whenever it comes to games or just generally industry, there's a ton of things in our industry that sound amazing in a PowerPoint presentation, right? You're like, oh, this is so intuitive. This is going to make better games. Everybody's going to be happier. And the reality is, is that it's not. Like it, if, if it becomes a chronic problem that you can't always see right from the beginning, but you look at that company four or five years down the road and it ends up being toxic, Right. And much harder to see. Um, so yeah, like with with space specifically, we've talked about them before. Um, yeah, I, I went through this when I, I worked at Wuga. Um, so in that case, it was a company that found success with early early titles in a pretty broad genre. Wuga made like an education games as well as casual matching games as well as hidden object games had success in all of them, um, and just believed that mobile was wide open. Right. So then they just went wild with recruitment for finding people from you know even like AAA console or like 3D um, uh, capabilities to kind of build them all together and build this utopia of build the game of your dreams kind of mentality. And it really backfired. It just caused a very defocused company um, that was chasing after so many different, wildly different unicorn ideas and with talent that really wasn't aligned against any one genre. Um, and I'm not going to uh, knock new, uh, uh, Wuga because I was a part of this, right? Like I, I, I absolutely learned from from how detrimental this can be and how we kind of hid behind a process, assuming that it would help us stay focused. But in the reality, it didn't. And Wuga made the right decision in the end to focus on narrative casual. Um, but um, my take on reading this article, um, because obviously like a big kudos to, to Space Ape for finding success in hyper, hybrid casual. Um, and I think that they should double down on this, right? They should continue to look at hyper casual games, like the crazy piano games and say, look, let's try to figure out a, an appropriate live model for that uh, hyper casual game. That strategy absolutely works. Continue to double down on that. But I would just say that um, what they're talking about with focus, I still see a lot of studio struggle with this. They constantly get lured into these traps of thinking that they can walk into a new genre and just win. And maybe that was possible in like 2015 when the live ops best practices were really early, but it is not now. 
but like inevitably what I see is creative people around a project read an idea that's not a part of that core competency, just get motivated by the idea and what they don't know, right? They, they just ignore the risks and executives end up saying yes, just due to the enthusiasm of that group and like just how intuitive it sounds on PowerPoint. But the reality is there's so many unknowns that the, this team and this executives do not know because it's not aligned with their core competency. And my advice remains that studios have to be brutally honest about what their core competency is and cut projects that don't align and don't even start them when it doesn't align. The problem is I have yet to see a studio or a publisher that can actually be this candid. It always results in games that go too far, getting too much investment and fall flat. Um, second point, new game development in mobile is incredibly risky and is exhausting for talent. Um, and, and Dylan Tradev on the Slack group, I think, had a great uh, point on this, so I'm just going to build on it. The chance of a new game succeeding in mobile right now is low and is going down, right? It's not increasing. We're in a world where it is almost, it, it was, it's always more profitable to staff up a live team on an existing hit than it is to invest in R&D on new projects. So even if you are building games in your core competency as a studio, many will still fail. I'm sorry, that's the reality. So I'm, I'm continually like interviewing people around the industry um, that that are just completely burnt out, right? From getting a project canceled arbitrarily mid-production or like killed in soft launch when they couldn't get the KPIs up. And, and the reality is these are smart people. These are not like, I, I know we want to like say like, you know, only hired people that have worked on hit games that have shipped hit games. But the reality is like, the, they haven't shipped a hit game, but these are very smart people, incompetent publishers, incompetent genres, but they're still burnt out just due to the reality of the market. Spending years on a game that gets canceled is demoralizing, right? And like at least back in like premium AAA, you'd still launch something, right? You'd still sell something. You'd get a Metacritic. Like I, I still have like my little framed things from Need for mm -hmm. Speed and EA Sports. And the reality is that there's a chunk of years there where I don't have squat because the reality of the market, right? And and really like uh, these teams just get left with a game that made like less than 100K in a soft launch, gets seen by a few thousand players and that's it. It's pretty tragic. And I think the result is just good people end up leaving the company because the company just over-indexed on new games. Um, and my last point is most companies are terrible at killing games. Everyone talks about the supercell process. Um, I spoke at GDC about killing games, right? I completely faked it. <laughs> the truth. <laughs> that the reality is, is that, that, right? Like we, we were good at killing games. We killed games, but in looking back at Wuga, we, we actually weren't right. And I don't even know if Supercell is. I, I can't see inside, but there are probably a lot of games internally there that have not had a ton of support that keep going on and on, right? Um, and I just see a lot of execs about thinking, hey, we're going to start this game, but we'll be willing to kill it if it doesn't hit a bar, like in prototyping or production, right? And then they'll sign off and like, yep, don't worry. Like, let's just fund this game. But then they don't follow through on it, right? They just end up with this sunk cost, gigantic production game because halfway through they realize now this thing is actually not going to fly, but we have already invested too much money. We're going to keep it going. Standard sunk cost fallacy. So personally, I'm more of a fan of spooling up like a studio or a GM structure that is focused on an overarching product strategy, like what they talk about in this article. 
we believe music games are underoperated, so we want to go after that space. So then they give that budget to that team to spool up multiple prototypes, they explore, and then they pivot as much as they need to in order to get that game uh, to work, right? But they they focus a team around an idea rather than pivoting to completely different genres every single time, right? And then, of course, if trust is lost in that strategy, um, then a messy kill will happen. So I guess just to summarize my takeaways, companies need to be brutally honest about what their core competency is and not stray from it. Very difficult. Companies need to over-index on live of their existing games rather than starting up a bunch of new games. Third, companies need to be brutally honest about their inability to kill games, right? So pick a strategy and appoint a GM and foster iteration rather than snowballing a bunch of sunk cost projects thinking you can kill it. Because then the result is you're hiring talent that's actually energetic about your core competency, not what games they think you'll be making, which I've seen, right? That you hire people that are coming from AAA thinking that they're going to make the next free-to-play AAA game, but your core competency is match three. So you probably shouldn't hire them, right? You shouldn't have hired them on that promise. You're putting talent on live products where they can see the impact of their real revenue. So you will see less turnover on live teams, at least from my experience. And then lastly, you're intentional about the number of new games and new strategies you're building on. Uh, ideally, that percentage is low and what strategies you focus on. So just the number of people on these new game projects that are inevitably exhausting should be a low percentage. Yeah. That, that's, my, that's my rant about new projects because I think it's, a, a, it's different than what you would see about 10 years ago. I, I just really want to co-sign the, um, the danger of the sunk cost fallacy and how hard it is i've seen it be for organizations to kill games i've i'm a very strong believer in prototypes uh first game i ever produced was because of a prototype i made in a weekend but uh i think you need a really strict criteria about how long a team gets to prove that a prototype is worth building and be really diligent about killing it because if i go back to that first game mystery of shark island like I built a fun prototype for 30 seconds of gameplay and six weeks later when we couldn't find the fun that would last for a whole level, like the game should have been killed then. We spent months, you know, trying to figure out how to make picking up shark's teeth on a beach fun in the era of hidden object games when we should have just made a beach vacation themed hidden object game and it would have been a, a, a big hit by not trying to innovate in this weird way. And I've just, I've seen it, you know, Many times over 20 years, projects that are going nowhere and will not die. And I don't know why it's so hard for people to, um, uh, why everyone falls into the sunk cost fallacy. I've seen it across multiple um, different game studios. And I just feel like you need strict criteria and you need a culture of celebrating your kills and looking at as, as somehow framing it as a triumph. Like you tried something experimental and new. You had a dedicated period of time. It was a valiant effort. Uh, let's all celebrate, take a little bit of a breather, and then start fresh on something new. Because, you know, that was... Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the tough part is when you've got that talent working in that direction, there's always... It's yeah. never clean, right? It's never like you have a number in prototyping and you can kill right. based on a number, right? It becomes It always becomes a subjective call that somebody has to to make. And then on top of that, all of these people are very motivated in that direction, right? It becomes, 
your your hungry shark finding game. Like I'm sure you were screaming at the top of your lungs, like how great this game will be <laughs> uh, to executives, right? And maybe they bought it, right? It becomes there's always these like sections of doubt. So executives have to be very brutal in these cases. Mm. I, I've never seen killing games be uh, easy, and typically when it is easy, then it's right. too late. Yeah. A lot of executives just don't want to do like there's there, I've seen a lot of stuff where um, <clears throat> executives are afraid, not afraid. They just don't want to kill the game because they become the killer and and they kind of want to preserve that um, that stature in the eyes of the developers. So instead, they push them too early to validate and kind of like basically kill them with numbers. Yeah. And then they under reason they under resource yeah. the thing and shove and, the and thing. It's, and it's even person. worse. I, I think yeah. the much better way is just to have clear rules and and really give give the team context, like how much money they've spent, how how long they've been there, what's going on with the market and 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 really kind of share the same knowledge as the executive has that would lead to similar type of decision. And I think that would help the team much more rather than under resource and kind of slowly strangle them to death because the the result I think is more negative than than if you just decide to kill it, um, but I, I wanted to actually I, I read the, uh, the the point and actually highlighted one thing, uh, and that's um, <clears throat> Simon Haid was saying I'm quoting these days we're still committed to exploring different genres but crucially we only kick off a new game when there's a fully formed team with great chemistry when that team is available to start then we charge them with figuring out what to make what game to make there are no constraints to what they work on, other than it needs to align with our mission to make the world's best mobile games. Um, it doesn't seem by reading this, this uh, quote. <laughs> That's not a strategy, <laughs> right? That's like, yeah. yeah. I hope, say. <laughs> That's not a strategy. Hope is not That's, a, uh, hope is a, not a method. It's called, what is called, that expression? Hope is not a method. Let's hope the team yeah. builds They're something like, that is successful. A strategy is not an aspiration, right? A strategy is not a KPI, is not an aspiration. We. Our strategy is we are going to be a top 10 game <laughs> or we're going to build top 10 games. That's not a strategy. Sorry, that's not a strategy. Um, so it's like these guys have clearly found a great model of hybrid casual. Yeah. And it is broad. Like the hyper casual is actually a pretty broad business model. You could go take a bunch of hyper casual games outside of music in arcade like they did with the racing. Maybe that can be successful. Double down on that. Don't like very clearly define that's the strategy rather than saying, Hey, we we love focus, but guess what? You can work on whatever the hell you want, right? Yeah, I think I, the I think only their comment I have on this. Just... All right, let's move on. Yeah, but ahead. the only comment I have on this is that I don't think any mention about aligning with where the market is, right, was mentioned in this whole fucking piece, right? So you can keep building the best MOBA possible, but that's not going to be successful, right? Stop it, right? So yeah, get a team together that wants to has a passion for MOBAs to build a MOBA. That's yeah, that's not a good strategy. So. But you have to be aligned with the market, and and I, that does not give you carte blanche to build whatever the fuck you want, right? Doesn't make sense. Okay, moving on. FIFA. All right, we talked about this a few months ago or a month ago or so, but I have to give credit to New York Times, man. Like they write some seriously good articles, right? That was it was really well written in terms of all the different angles that you could look at it. Not a lot of like understanding or color as the history of it all, but like in from terms of an actual article compared to something like Kotaku. Or you know, pocket gamer, or whatever. I mean, it was amazing in terms of, uh, of of the coverage. But anyway, so it looks like negotiations failed with EA and FIFA, and almost after 30 years, the relationship between them is now over. Or is it? We will see. Uh, the current deal was to end after uh, 
this year's World Cup in Qatar, um, and and I think they're it's running through like the Women's Cup next summer, and then it's over. And now FIFA will no longer be part of the EA Sports game. It'll be called EA Sports FC. Um, so the game itself will not change at all, except that it will remove obviously the World Cup, which is FIFA, and all uh, you know FIFA labels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and what the article was saying was that they were actually seeking double the annual fee um, that EA would pay FIFA and also the ability for them to go outside of EA uh, with the FIFA brand. So including other video games. Um, so in essence, they want to double the fee and then they wanted to basically limit, lose exclusivity, which <laughs> that's a fucking tall order, let me say. Um, the last deal was signed 10 years, okay? But you have to keep in mind that 10 years ago, that was before this entire scandal, which unearthed the fact that this FIFA is the most despicable organization in the planet in terms of like licensor, right? So they had this absolutely major corruption scandal in 2015, right? Which, which changed the entire dynamic of the FIFA thing. And so these new leaderships happened, uh, came on board during that time. And so now they're the ones that are renegotiating these deals. Um, and so this guy, uh, Gianni Infantino, it's a very cool name, by the way, uh, is the new FIFA president. And what he was being trying to do is build up new revenue streams uh, for licensing, but has been very unsuccessful, according to the reporting. Anyway, um, so, so the quote I got from him was that I can assure you that only authentic real game that has the FIFA name on it will be the best one available for gamers and football fans, said Giovanni, the FIFA president. The FIFA name, which he suggested the organization would reclaim for its own, is the only global original title. So basically what he's saying is that he thinks that he can actually build a new FIFA game out of the ether, right? <laughs> right? That will be competitive and be the most best game, the best soccer game out there, right? So Giovanni must not be a very serious person if he thinks he can actually build a competitive game against FIFA, right? There are no teams on the planet that actually can build a competitive game right now and have the horsepower to even make that happen like five years from now, right? Isn't it would Konami cost the only tens one. of millions of dollars to put a team together just to start on this type of things and likely hundred millions of dollars over the next three or four years to build a game. So he obviously has no fucking idea what he is talking about, right? So in essence, <laughs> yeah, Ethan, don't well, bring I was up, saying, don't like, bring the up only Konami. possible studio that's making a competitor to FIFA. No, and they just totally flubbed their last no. football. They just flubbed it. <laughs> they, they took that, that, game, that team is it. gone. Yeah, it, it's over. Right, like take take two, no. maybe build no. something, but then in, are, do they are they willing to take five years of losses to eventually get this? And that you think they're going to sign up for a fucking deal like that? No way, man! They're not going to give some no, guarantee no. to a game in which they could license it out to someone else. What's going to happen is they're going to license it to a bunch of shitty developers and make shitty games, and EA is going to have the best game. Sorry, I, I'm getting to my conclusion already. I was actually right. still covering this thing, right? <laughs> so. Um, the only, yeah, the only team I was going to say, the only team that has the appetite or maybe the skills is is, is the Take Two team, but they're not going to sign up for this shit, right? Now, in defense, evidently soccer is easier than basketball and football because you don't have to deal with collision and the animations are less complicated because it's more further away, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But still, to build a competitive team and deal with all the licensing and all that stuff is going to cost 
hundreds of millions of dollars of, of some cost in order to make. So not possible, right? Um, so the other thing I want to be clear here, I think I said this before, I want to be really un understand this, is that in the day, old days, EA basically helped create the brand for FIFA, even more so than FIFA helped create EA's brand on gaming, right? Like FIFA on the, on, on the consoles and PC basically built the FIFA brand for the past 30 years, right? They were, they were a partnership, right? And, and, and the old guys that used to run this thing and, and license, they're still there. The general counsel of EA who negotiated these deals years ago, Gianni took over and he probably had tons of pressure to build up this licensing revenue. This is probably the biggest piece of his licensing revenue, right? And so he just clearly didn't have the advisors or the understanding of this space in order to negotiate this deal properly because now he's lost all that money that was coming from EA with, with no hope of replacing it anytime soon, right? Like, because even the best circumstance, three or five years would be take to build a game. So anyway, my take on this is very simple. EA wins, right? They open up licensing opportunities, which was stated in the article to things like Nike and others, Adidas, that weren't part of the deal with FIFA and limited because of the deal with FIFA, right? EA still maintains all the players, all the teams, all the leagues, everything that makes that game great, right? The only thing they really lose is the FIFA events and the World Cup, right? Which is a loss, no doubt. Um, they stopped paying this exorbitant licensing fee for FIFA and, and a few other things um, on their games. And there's no potential competitor for the next at least 10 years, if ever, right? So they're, they, they, they're in their own lane, man. They, they don't have to worry about it, right? And then FIFA loses, right? They lose one of their biggest licensing deals that they have, right, with with uh, with with EA, right? They lose the promotion, right? And I think this is probably part of what they don't appreciate or, or value as much as they should is that this is a promotional vehicle for their their brand, right? So they they have the biggest game in the world, like 26 to 30 million units are sold to children that says FIFA everywhere. The loyalty is huge, right? And and that's all gone, like in a year, right? And and, and that I think will will hurt. And and I think it loses its cachet ultimately. And the, the visible it, it loses visibility with the younger demographic that that is actually being introduced to FIFA for the first time. And so in this game situation, in in some cases I'm sure, but also reinforcing the players and the teams that 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 they care about uh, with this game every year, you know. Um, and again, the amount of money and effort it would take to make a terrible game, like they're going to have to fund it, right? There's there's no team out there that's going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to go after something this big, right? That, that's a huge burden for the organization. So they're going to have to end up paying for it anyway, right? So I, 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 I there was something on LinkedIn, someone mentioned something that it was really a big risk for both EA and FIFA. I'm like, no, there's no risk for EA. Like their game is huge. Like Didn't, it doesn't matter. E EA so, must anyway, have- That's kind of my take. Do you think that the uh, Tiger Woods golf to PGA- use case taught them that they can change the brand successfully for a major sports title and really not not miss a step like that must have given them uh, the confidence that they could do this no i i, I honestly i just think that the, the what they were asking for is untenable right where you're asking for double the fee and then lose the exclusivity you're out of your mind you're out of your freaking mind right no i'm That's saying ea to, to your point that ea wins EA changing Tiger Woods golf to PGA must have given them the confidence that they could remove the license from their, the title from their biggest game. Well, I mean, 
the scale of something like that is so much smaller that it's almost irrelevant, right? We're talking about like a hundred million versus a billion, right? right? More than a billion, a billion six. So, you know, it's going to be maybe funny to some degree, but it is when uh, Serare uh, or so rare <laughs> picks up uh, the FIFA brand for their NFT game. <laughs> That'll be hilarious. Yeah, well, I don't understand that. Well, the FIFA brand doesn't get them anything, right? I mean, right. what they need is yeah, the relationships with the leagues and the players, right? Right. Right? Yeah. So right. anyway, I, I, that's my take so far. I, I think I'll probably get a little bit more feedback, but I actually talked to a bunch of people about this before, and I, most of them agree that, that EA is not going to miss a beat. The stock is up like 11%, right? So F off FIFA. I mean, <laughs> seriously, it's like, you know, it's like no one cares. No one cares. Your brand ain't shit. You know, um, and then what's crazy is Gianni is going to lose, man. Like he's going to lose. Like you think his performance bad now in terms of licensing. Now he's lost his biggest licensor. So yeah, could take that. Anyway, moving on. Do you, do you guys have a couple minutes for a uh, crypto corner? Should we yeah, dude, stop every time. apologizing for it. Dude, just report, <laughs> man. Okay. Dude, this, <laughs> like this is your, this is your time. You yeah, actually, this is my time. You didn't. No, you didn't mention fucking NFTs the entire time, dude. I'm very right. impressed. Yeah. Very impressed. I was, uh, well, he, he kind of talked about Ferrari already. Yeah, yeah I, I was Ferrari. trying to throw that so he Ferrari. Was, he was, no, but that's, that's a legit comment. That's, that's a legit, a legit comment. It, They're a license Wow, store. look at that. It's a legit comment. That is that is high praise. No, you do it my, just to piss me off. I know you do it just to piss me off, right? Because you do it with this snide grin every time. Like, it's really obvious. So anyway, let tell okay. me about what's going so, on with the NFT space right. because it seems to be pretty right. dire. But so so no, I mean, well, short term, yes. There there are a bunch of things happening. So uh, the the article that uh, the summary article Nishka shared with us was NFTs crash as Bitcoin and Ethereum fall. Board ape floor price fifty down fifty three percent in ten days, uh, and just um, you know one of the quotes. Uh, one person who sold off was the owner of Board Ape number 4688, who bought it just two weeks ago for $418,000. He sold it Monday for $240,000, a loss of seven eighty six. dollars um, So uh, there's a bunch of stuff going on, like uh, Lemon, which is super kind of interesting, right? So ma macroeconomic forces that were all kind of predictable, rising interest rates that, that I know that... Uh, both Chris and Eric have, have talked about how that propped up the frothiness in um, the crypto market. So macro changes are driving token prices down of the key tokens, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And that then ripples through the ecosystem completely. Um, Board 8 specifically is uh, uh, suffering because of that. But also the this, this article cherry picks data because the board ape prices were inflated ahead of the um, other side land sale, because people who owned a board ape or a mutant ape were able to claim um, free uh, land deeds and other side. They just had to pay the gas fee. So probably what happened to this specific person was they were willing to buy a board because they thought they would get the other side deeds for free. And then they assumed that the price would stay high and they'd be able to sell it. And it would just be a way of using their wealth to get free deeds that other people were paying, you know, $10,000 or more for. Um, but instead, what happened was they bought it 
got their other side deeds and then macroeconomic forces uh, plus other people also exiting Bored Ape after the other side helped, you know, crater the price there. Um, and then there's in in uh, blockchain gaming, there's another thing going on, which is that the Terra ecosystem is like collapsing before our very eyes. So that's a, a competitor chain. Um, it's It's got two tokens that underpin the chain. One is UST, which is supposed to be a stable coin that uses an algorithm to peg itself to a dollar. That's the intention of UST. And stable coins play a very important role in, in different blockchain ecosystems. And then they have a second coin, Luna. And Luna is supposed to be the reserve of value that when UST dips below $1, they can sell off Luna and buy it back up to the price, I, I think. Some, I, I might have to do more research on, on exactly how that system was supposed to work. But UST lost its peg to a dollar because unlike other stable coins, it had no collateral behind it. It was an algorithmic peg and bugs in the system, features that haven't come out yet. They lost their peg. And so just it, UST is supposed to be priced at a dollar at the start of this podcast. It was 48.6 cents. So, and then Luna, so 30 days ago, Luna was priced at $86.22. At the start of our recording, it was priced at $3.48. So almost a complete crater. And then just, I just checked right before we talked, it's down further to 236. So this entire Luna, Terra Luna ecosystem is collapsing uh, in front of our eyes. And that is a disaster for any developer uh, who is building on their ecosystem on Terra. And so for, uh, I know that there are multiple game projects or entire game platforms that have started building on, uh, on um, that plat that crypto platform. So um, the thing that I think, I mean, this doesn't sway me from my long-term hypothesis and belief in blockchain gaming, right? Because my long-term belief is that we can use blockchain technology to deliver better experiences for our players, for free-to-play players, than we currently are because they own their assets and it aligns the incentives and developers will be less extractive of their players. That's why I believe in blockchain, right? Like, is because... I think it will force us when people own the stuff to make better decisions and not power creep and not inflate the economies to hell. And I think the games will be better and that'll create a larger economic pie. That is my long-term belief. That's why I'm in it. Short term, it's the wild west. There's a lot of collateral damage. Like companies are going to be ruined by the Luna blockchain uh, or the Terra blockchain failing. Um, and NFT projects, like I don't personally really, I don't own any pure NFTs that are just art. I don't, I believe it's just as kind of a frothy uh, investment and Ponzi scheme as, as you all do. It's not, I, I believe in NFTs with in-game utility for in-game economies. And so like, you know, the only thing that props up the value of Bored Apes or CryptoPunks is, uh, is faith. And when faith, uh, uh, goes away or macroeconomic forces mean people want to take their profits. Like this is what happens. Other people are left holding the bag. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. Um, 
it's part of kind of the fun as hor- of, of beating a uh, 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 part of this Wild West scene. And I would just say, you know, not personal finance advice, but I personally, even though I've pivoted my entire career to crypto gaming, in terms of my personal wealth and assets, a very small percentage is in crypto. <laughs> I think you have to recognize okay. that it's an extremely volatile market. And I think that people are making bad personal choices because they think something that's incredibly volatile is not volatile. And that's, right. so, it's, it's unfortunate. So actually, that lends itself to like what I, I think what I'm going to talk about next week because yeah. I, I don't have time right now is that part of what I've been talking about for the last two years is the frothiness of this market and how multiples are out of control, valuations are out of control, like Roblox being more valuable than, than Activision or EA is absurd on its face, like in so many different ways, right? And so we're seeing this huge correction. And I was like reacting to someone posting, I think it was on, I don't know, it was LinkedIn or whatever. Someone was like, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I've been investing since 2010. And I'm like, really? 2010? You haven't seen shit, man. Like right. you haven't seen anything, you know? And and the fact is that all these valuations got so insane. Unity, AppLovin, Iron Source, all these guys that that this shit's not sustainable, right? And I think that's the same thing for NFTs and blockchain is the same problem is that there's so much money sloshing around right. that ultimately things are going to correct and revert to the mean and fundamentals matter, right? So hopefully we can fundamentals talk a bit about that and Fundamentals and, and, monet- and, and monetary policy really matters, right? No, that, yeah, that's true, right? You can't fight the Fed, right? If the Fed is increasing interest rates, stocks are going to go down, right? That's the way it works. <laughs> you know, it's like... Um, it's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy to some degree, but we're starting yeah. to see today some rebounds on some of the core names like EA and Activision. I'm sorry, not Activision, Take Two, etc. Um, but uh, and Roblox is up a bit today. But yeah, we're 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 in challenging times. It could get a lot worse before it gets a lot better, or you know, maybe the Fed will start to ease up a little bit, and then we'll 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 see it more flood into stocks again, right? But these valuations are still not reasonable, but we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, and, and then there's right. the uh, the one notion that cryptocurrency had is like they're great protection against inflation, and that clearly hasn't been there. And that has been always the discussion. It's like, well, you just put it in crypto. It's like not fiat currency. Not true. And then so. you have Gavin out there yapping away about like regulation, right? Which in California, which is where a lot of these companies are residing, dude, that's fucking scary. You know, who's the nose? Yeah. But that guy's going to pull out of his, his butt talks, you know? So yeah. I, I'm, anyway. I'm, I'm interested in what happens in, in the uh, future funding for these companies, because as, as Sufred has been saying, as I said, like la- late last year, this, the H2 of 2021 was bonkers like people raising 10 million on a deck just by saying we're gonna do a blockchain game uh we've done previously a game you know let's say you worked previously at candy crush and you say i'm gonna do uh, <laughs> a version of uh of axie infinity and that's 10 m's easy yeah. easy i no I question mean, asked. i i think it's good for the ecosystem when the people with the money are being more diligent and in, in making smarter choices and just you know, like I said, I uh, we make free-to-play games. We build digital economies with currencies and assets. And I, lo- I honestly believe that these games and these digital economies will be better for players when they own the stuff and they can sell them to each other and resell them. 
And so like, I, I'm, you know, this, this correction, uh, uh, doesn't surprise me. And I know it won't be the last, like it's going to be a roller coaster in crypto for a long time. Um, but I, I maintain my, uh, bullishness on our ability to build better free to play style experiences. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, well, on, on, on that, that note, note, high five everybody. <laughs> <laughs>